sparkling and I saw the circle and I was like, well. <laughs> and we had quiche, that was a four, right? <laughs> GW, um, and we're both in the Trachtenburg School getting our graduate degrees. Are you MPP or MPA? MPP. MPP. Okay, I thought so, but I didn't want to say it. Then we got to start over, and that's a whole big thing. Um, <laughs> but, but Caitlin um, just retired from the military, um, and so today we're going to talk a little bit about that, the transition, who she is, how nice she is, because she truly is lovely. Um, but Caitlin, you want to introduce yourself? Sure, thanks so much for having me. Mm -hmm. uh, so I commissioned into the Navy in 2011 as a surface warfare officer, which means I deployed on ships. Um, so I spent seven years on active duty before I separated. Didn't quite make it to retirement officially. But, oh, uh, oh, oh, <laughs> I thought you, what? For a retire if you want to retire and get all the retirement benefits, you have to do at least like 20 years. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did seven years on active duty. So mm -hmm. I did my first... Uh, two and a half years on a ship stationed in San Diego, where we did a 10-month deployment to uh, mostly to the Middle East. And then mm -hmm. from there, I transferred to my second ship based in Rota, Spain. Um, so we had a bit of a different deployment cycle. So we did a series of shorter deployments um, throughout the Mediterranean and um, into the Black Sea a few times and then over to the Baltic once before I left. And then I did a couple years at the Pentagon and then... In May of this year, I separated from active duty, and then I'm currently still serving as a reservist. So, does serving as a reservist, like, are you eventually going to get those benefits? Like, if you stay, like, another 14 years? If I chose to stay, you can earn points for retirement as a reservist. Okay. Yes. I will probably not do so, because they can... <laughs> You get a two-year deferment from after leaving active duty where they can't deploy you, but after that, they can deploy you overseas. And uh, the deployments these days are pretty long. People are going, are going to Djibouti for 11, 12 months at a time and Bahrain and other places I don't really want to go. It's, it's a difficult time because it's, you know, it's just a couple years after you've left active duty. For, so for everyone who's trying to build a civilian career, yeah. it's just not great timing for and is it like career path. Is it like likely that you'll get deployed though, you know? Um, people from my unit with my clearance have been getting mobilized pretty regularly, so. Oh, just because you already have such a high clearance. Yes, so <sighs> the odds don't, don't look good. So I will probably <laughs> not make it to retirement in the Navy, but I applaud those who do. <laughs> Wait, so what was your official ranking? Uh, so I'm still a lieutenant. So I love service okay. as a lieutenant, and I'm still a lieutenant in the reserves. And people in the reserves can still promote to, oh, to higher okay. ranks. So. Did you do? Did you start the Navy after or before college? I did the Navy Reserve Officer Training Program mm -hmm. in uh, in college. So for the four years I was in college, I was a part of the unit. So we took an additional uh, class every semester that mm -hmm. would be on military leadership or training and, um, or like naval science and engineering. Mm -hmm. And then we had a one week, one time a week where everyone came together for, um, everyone across all 
grades basically came mm-hmm. together for drill and then uh, we would work out together a couple times a week as well um so does that is that included in your seven years of serving or was it like after college so the commitment I signed up for was eight years of service of which four years had to be active duty and the other four years could be reserve um they've changed that now where I think now the minimum service requirement is five years Mm. um and then so serving seven years you have to in order to get GI Bill benefits you have to have served past your minimum service requirement and to be 100% eligible for all the GI Bill benefits you have to serve uh three years past your minimum service requirements so for me that was seven years so (laughs) seven years was a good time to transition but it was also the time in the for surface warfare officers which Mm -hmm. uh, is what it was for that that timeline that's also when um you go back to sea uh so usually do four to five years at sea and then two to three years on shore duty the point is that the sort of benchmark in the career path is by uh seven and a half years in you need to be at school to be a department head, which is the next sort of job I would have gone up to, mm. um, to go back to see. So basically it was either I was going to get out now or I was going to school and going to go to school and go back to see as a department head. So, but was that, so did you, did your seven years start after college? So you, or was once, it once I graduated? So once oh, okay. I actually commissioned on active duty for, if you're in NROTC while you're in college, you're in the reserves technically, but inactive reserves, so you're not getting um, you don't have the same mm. benefits, basically. Whereas, um, I think for Naval Academy midshipmen, they're actually considered active duty during that time, so they have a little bit of a different. See all these things that I don't understand. People... <laughs> no, because I'm still I when I moved here, I was just so I feel like I say this on a lot of episodes, but like I was so surprised about how many like military people there were mm-hmm. and government people because I have one really good friend that I grew up with um and her dad is like a two-star general or something for um the National Guard in fact in Connecticut and it was just him like I never I can't think off the top of my head anybody else that was like in the military who served like at least to like my knowledge and so he was like an anomaly but everything else like in my worldview had taught me that they kind of like live off somewhere in the mm-hmm. jungle like yeah. i don't know that they weren't yeah well for me i mean the whole reason i grew up here is because my dad was in the marine corps and his mm-hmm. last job in the marine corps was at the pentagon and then mm-hmm. when they were looking at where to move next they were like well the jobs are here in dc particularly so my dad uh as many retired military dude. Uh, well, my dad didn't officially retire either, but <laughs> as many uh, former military people do, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of defense industry jobs here. So mm-hmm. my dad stayed and uh, got a job in the defense industry. And then my mom went back to school um, to get a master's degree in computer science. And then she started getting jobs in the defense industry as well. So, so just, I grew up here. You're just a military baby. Mm-hmm. So did that push you to want to serve? Is that why? Like, you just grew up, like, in that military family, and you're like, I got to do it. I mean, it's really funny, because my dad uh, left active duty when I was only about nine months old. Oh. So I really didn't, you know, I wasn't a military brat. I didn't have that experience where Mm -hmm. we were, like, moving around with the military all the time. You know, I just sort of, like, knew my dad had been in the Marine Corps and didn't really know very much about what that meant um so which was really shocking to me so then we if you go to the naval academy you have plebe summer so plebes are first year midshipmen mm-hmm. uh and plebe summer is a very arduous 
trying like couple month long mm-hmm. process to indoctrinate you to the Naval Academy. For ROTC, they don't quite do that. So we just had a week. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, kind of a whole summer. <laughs> but, the, but the week itself was pretty eye-opening to me because I was learning all these things, like just basic, you know, they're training you in like basic military knowledge mm-hmm. and decorum, and then they're having you go um, do trainers and obstacle courses and stuff. But but just my, pretty much my first year in ROTC, as I was learning more about the military, I was like learning about all these things that my dad had gone through that I didn't realize, and mm-hmm. I was, um, which was kind of, you know, one example is that uh, most people at some point in training will go through a gas chamber. Um, so not lethal Wait. gas. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Wait, like, but, oh, but like Schindler's List gas? Like, I'm very confused. Clearly, clearly not that bad. It's um, <laughs> oh cesium gas, I think. But so the point is to train people to trust their gas masks. Mm. Um, but so as part, the way it works is you put on a gas mask and you go in this chamber and I guess that they like heat up a cesium pill on like a hot plate or something and it starts oh, hot smoking. So you need <laughs> to tell me the amount of money so. I spent on taxes <laughs> and they got hot plate. Maybe it's more sophisticated than that, but my impression was that it was not. But so you go in there with, <laughs> with your mask on and so you're breathing just fine because you have your gas mask and you're like, this is great. And what they have you do is they have everyone take off their mask mm-hmm. and then they go around... Uh, the circle of all of you in there and they ask you to say like your name and service number or something so like your social security number or date of birth or something so mm-hmm. um, to make you talk and like push through it and I guess experience that it sucks and then the point after they go around and do all that then everyone's supposed to put their gas mask back on and clear so you know how to do it in mm-hmm. um, you know in a real situation when I did it, <laughs> we all put our gas masks on and uh, everything's cool. And then they have us take them all off and I was feeling great. And I was like, I'm not really feeling anything. And then I took a deep breath and that was a very bad idea. So now I'm kind of struggling. And uh, <laughs> and I was like the second to last person mm-hmm. in the group. So I'm waiting for the instructors to run to all these other people. I mean, oh. I'm like coughing. Anyway, so they'd said in advance, if you hold up your arm, that mm-hmm. is a symbol that you are struggling and you need to be removed, like training time out, like you need to be removed from the situation. <laughs> um, but by the time they got to me, I was just having so much trouble choking out what I was saying that I was sort of waving my hand in the air. Like you I just was don't like, care? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just trying to like choke my words out. But I thought I was indicating that I was like in distress. So the instructor just like pushes me out the door, like drop my gas mask in the process. And uh, yeah, that was, so that was my guess. So they were like, but yeah, she's my, fit to go out. They're like, she's fine. But uh, yeah, but I realized my dad had done all these things as well. And I was like, didn't know that. And so, but that, so, so your mom was also already out when you were born too, mm-hmm. right? Cause she did like her two year thing. Yeah. And then... So both my parents had done ROTC in part to help pay college tuition. Mm-hmm. So both my parents went to Duke and they were there on the ROTC scholarship. Um, back then you could serve for two years without any commitment. At least when I was in school, it was one year. You could do one year without sending mm-hmm. a commitment to the Navy. Um, and you could get free tuition for that year and not have to pay it back. But um, so by the time my mom had finished her second year, she and my dad knew they were getting married. Because um, that's how it was back in the day. Yeah, early. Early. <laughs> very college. early. Yeah, um, very early. Like 19. So, early, that's, <laughs> yeah, my mom was 21 when I got married. Um, a little crazy. But so mm-hmm. she ended up, so she left um, for a couple of reasons. So my dad. So my dad was Marine Corps and she would have been Navy and, and back then, so this was the early eighties. So back mm-hmm. then, um, they call it dual mill now. So if you're a dual military yeah. couple and 
now they're pretty well, people may have mixed experiences, but I think for the most part, you know, they're pretty good at working with dual military couples mm -hmm. to try and make sure that they're stationed in the same place. Mm -hmm. um, though sometimes couples do end up where they're on off, they're, they'll be stationed on different ships or different, you know, different commands mm -hmm. um, that could be on different deployment schedules. So they could be on opposing deployment schedules mm -hmm. and basically be high-fiving on the way in and out. It's been nice. Um, it's been nice being your wife. Which, yeah, which can be a struggle. But but particularly for, so back then, this was early days of women being in the military, mm -hmm. so not sure they even really had any processes yeah. in place for dual mill. And then um, also being Marine Corps Navy, Marine Corps personnel are not necessarily stationed at the same place as Navy personnel, mm -hmm. so it would have been even harder to co-locate them. And my mom also had some uh, less positive experiences as mm -hmm. a midshipman. So when you're in college and in training as a midshipman, you'll go to, um, you'll go out to sea on a ship or another platform like a submarine mm -hmm. um, for a few weeks or a month at a time to get that training and see what it's like and mm -hmm. figure out what community you want to go into if you want to be on ships or submarines or flight aircraft or be in the Marines. Um, and my mom has never really gone into details about this, but she's made references to uh, not being treated well at one point, I mm -hmm. think being slammed to the side of the ship by an armed watchstander. Um, yeah. What? So Why? this was not, not necessarily a great, a great time. Uh, yeah. So she decided for all those reasons that, mm -hmm. that she didn't really want to go active duty. But um, so then she ended up graduating in three years because she couldn't afford to stay for mm -hmm. two more years of college. Um, but they got married, and then what's crazy to me, you know, is my mom has this Duke education, and then but she, to support my dad, you know, was traveling with him for his military mm -hmm. career, and he went to um, Monterey for graduate school. That's where the Naval Postgraduate School is, mm -hmm. um, to get a degree in computer science. And so my mom went with him, but during this time, I mean, she ended up like she was working at, like a department store. Mm -hmm. selling handbags with her Duke degree which for me it's hard for me to imagine making that decision now so mm -hmm. looking back I can really appreciate like that sacrifice yeah what she went through to to do that but then you know she always says you know my dad paid it forward later mm -hmm. because he supported her while she went back to grad school and got mm -hmm. her degree so that she could get to a better place in her career so and then for a while she was making more money than him so I would say kind of <laughs> it even even out in the end anyway but so then I grew up in Duke basketball Mm -hmm. because my parents loved Duke basketball. Mm -hmm. uh, so then I wanted to go to Duke mainly because of the basketball, and my parents were like, well, you should apply for this Navy, <laughs> <laughs> this Navy ROTC scholarship because mm. uh, that'll pay your tuition for you, and then you'll have a job when you graduate. And I was like, that sounds cool. you know. And I didn't really understand what I was getting into because I thought, mm -hmm. you know, in the Marine Corps, the positions are very different than from the Navy. And mm -hmm. what I knew more about was the Marine Corps because that's what my dad had done. And so... Mm -hmm. You know, there are jobs in the Marine Corps where you're not necessarily, like, going to sea on a ship. But for mm -hmm. the Navy, it's pretty much, if you go through ROTC, there's mm -hmm. other, if you want to be a doctor or something in the Navy, there's sort mm -hmm. of other um, avenues, paths. Yeah, but if you go through ROTC, pretty much, unless you have some sort of medical condition that forces you into another community, you're either going to be on a ship, flying aircraft, on a submarine, or an officer of the Marine Corps, which... Mm -hmm. Um, I was not going to do uh, <laughs> as great as the Marine Corps is. Um, so yeah, I was like, I don't really know what I'm getting into here, but it uh, ended up being a great experience. And mm -hmm. I'm really glad I did it. And so it's interesting that your mom was kind of like, hey, do this thing, but she didn't have a good experience. Was that weird for you? Did you not um, know about her not having a good experience until you 
decided to join up? Oh, I didn't tell the best part of the whole story, now that I think of it, which I'm sure I knew this going in, because uh, my mom said, so when my mom left the unit um, Mm -hmm. and decided that she wouldn't be going active duty, the executive officer of the unit, uh, so the second in command, did her exit interview, and he told her that she'd be a better Marine wife than an officer anyway. Um, which my these people just really test me (laughs) certainly never forgotten Um, I think she just trusted that things were better now Mm. Um, and I'm I'm happy to say that for the most part I had a really positive experience and I Mm. had a lot of male mentors who took me under their wing and advocated Mm. for me and took the time uh, to invest in me and my career Um, they encouraged me to stay in if I wanted to but no one was ever you know coercive about Mm. it but friend was like you can do this you can be here um it made it really welcoming which I really appreciated and so I made a point to talk about that when I was separating because I think it's important to Mm -hmm. um I guess acknowledge that there's good work going on and that men are there are men in the military who see value in women being Mm -hmm. a force and are investing in their careers so and I, I just wanted to I guess it's a little silly I felt so compelled to thank them for doing that because I mean Mm -hmm. they should just been doing that but I guess I guess I felt compelled to give that sort of like positive reinforcement and maybe give that food for thought well I guess also so there's a lot of people in the office I left at the Pentagon there's a lot of people who will be going on to command shortly thereafter Mm -hmm. and so I just wanted to make the point that and how they're paying it forward because I think there is there can sort of still be this sort of like old boys club yeah thing that persists I definitely saw it more at the Pentagon (laughs) More at the Pentagon than no. on the ship. Cause there, it, it is a lot of old men. It, it, it's very different, and very different communities from the ships. Because on the ship, usually, I mean, probably the command master chief, the most senior enlisted person on the ship, he's mm-hmm. probably us- usually the oldest, but he's maybe like 45. And the mm-hmm. captain would usually be like 41, 42 mm-hmm. for the most part. So, and I mean, and everyone else is more junior and younger, yeah. you know? So lots of 18 to 24 year olds, you know, mm-hmm. that's probably the bulk of the crew. Um, so it's a very young environment. I think a much more, um, I don't mean this politically, but I guess progressive environment was what I was going to say. I mean, just it's a younger crowd. It's a younger mm-hmm. generationally and definitely got a different vibe than <laughs> which is a little more entrenched, mm-hmm. I think, in um, sort of the older mindset of what, of what the Navy was. Though I will say we had, there's a big Surface Navy Association mm-hmm. um, event every year and uh, so that brings in, I mean, you have retired admirals who mm-hmm. retired 20 years ago after serving 30 years. I mean, so, but there's a, so basically there's just a big span of generations of people who've been mm-hmm. in the Navy from people currently serving through um, people who retired a long time ago. But uh, so one of the admirals this year had shown um, a video of, it was supposed to be this motivational video with people on the ship, but so like a woman featured prominently and it was like other... Uh, other people who were not just white men. Yeah. And uh, we were in a session with one of my more direct bosses. He's a captain. And uh, this old man got up after his speech and asked, Mm -hmm. he was like, you know, we saw that video that the Admiral showed the other day and it doesn't look like my Navy, you know, a lot of hair buns or something like that because... They just changed this rule. Actually, you know, women can wear their hair in ponytails. But before, (laughs) uh, women could only wear their hair in in buns. Mm -hmm. And uh, I sort of, I was sitting near the front of the room because I had a backup clicker in case my boss's clicker stopped working or something. And I just, I I like wasn't quite sure what he, 
I was like, did he really say that? I sort of felt the blood like drain out of my face, and someone told me I like reached up and touched my <laughs> touched my bun, but, um, <laughs> just patted it ever but, so cautiously. But my captain was really quick to shut that down, and he was like, "Women are a part of the force. They're great war fighters, and I'd want them on my team anytime." I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing, but he said something to that effect. So, was there any? We're, oh, we're seeing the generational shift. Is all I'm saying. So. No, I mean that's that's a good thing. I definitely think it's. Time for a change, if you will. Um, did your dad have any reservations? Do you have siblings? I have an older brother. Did he also go he was on? T- very not interested in the military. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we only got so. you left, so I need you to get it together. <laughs> yeah. So that's so interesting. So, was did your dad have any reservations based off of like what he saw or what your mom experienced about you going into this field? It's interesting you ask about my dad because so rates of women in the Marine Corps have always been historically lower than the other forces. Mm-hmm. I think the last time I sort of looked at the numbers, it was sort of like 15 to 20 percent in like the Navy and Air Force and then lower in the Army and Marine Corps. But I think it's only like five to six percent of the force in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. I mean, so probably when my dad was in, I mean, it may not even have been. I think women it's very recent that women are allowed to even be in the Marine Corps, isn't it? Or was well, it open? The big, the big shift was putting women in combat roles, but that's always mm-hmm. sort of been... Mm-hmm. Dicey. I mean, women have been in combat for a long time. They mm-hmm. just haven't always been recognized. Mm-hmm. So this sort of came up again recently when uh, Secretary Mattis was speaking at Virginia Military Institute, mm-hmm. and he was saying, oh, there's not enough data to see if women should be serving in combat roles. Mm-hmm. Which was sort of strange, because usually, I mean, what he said at his confirmation hearing and what has sort of been the general talking point is anyone who's anyone who meets the requirements can serve. Yes. Which should be it. And so for um, a lot of female service members and veterans that we, I mean, it was surprised to hear him sort of backtrack on that. Mm-hmm. And, and he, I think he made a statement later that he'd been misinterpreted, but... He said what he said. <laughs> You're like, listen, I was there. <laughs> and I mean, so when when uh, Leon Panetta was Secretary of Defense, a lot of women, I think a number of women sued because they were basically because for so much, especially with, um, you know, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, women have been in the front lines, mm-hmm. but they weren't technically combat roles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we had like... Uh, they called female enhancement team and we had all these teams of women to go interact with um people on the ground because particularly with cultural sensitivities in yeah. afghanistan having men talk to women yeah, in these yeah. countries may, was not always going to be the best dynamic so they started sending more women in these roles but i mean so they're in the front lines when when, when skirmishes are happening you mm-hmm. know but they weren't technically combat roles so i mean that's the sort of thing where women started pushing back and saying we we were there and they should get because it matters for promotion in some mm-hmm. in some career fields whether or not you were in combat roles and women were women have been risking their lives just as much as the men so i mean i think it's important to give credit where credit is due mm-hmm. and so you made the choice of going to the navy is that just what happened is that just what duke happened to offer like i don't know how rotc programs work mm-hmm. so is it just yeah so I don't know too much about how schools arrange, but but different schools offer different programs. But so Duke does have Army, Air Force, and Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, some schools also will uh, tag sort of tag team units with other schools. So I know like Maryland for a long time 
were part of the broader like DC consortium, and so they mm-hmm. would have to come down to GW for all their drill mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was quite a commute for a lot of them. But now Maryland has its own Navy ROTC mm-hmm. unit. So um, I'd have to learn more about how, <laughs> how that, that all gets set up. But so, so Duke had all, um, all three, Army, Air Force, and Navy. And then Marine Corps falls under the Department of the Navy. So mm-hmm. people who want to do Marine Corps could fall under Navy ROTC. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I mean, I really just did Navy because both my parents did Navy. And they were like, you should do Navy. You should. So oh, yeah, there go. wasn't a... <laughs> did you... So, I know you said you had a positive experience, but do you feel like kind of you were kind of swept up in all of it? Because I've I've heard um, a little bit of backlash in that sense of like we tell kids that will pay for you know their college or grad school or whatever, but then they end up serving you know all this time, which is like which is fine, but like without maybe really knowing what they're committing to. Like you said, you like I didn't fully know what I had signed up for so do you feel like there wasn't that clear communication do you feel like you would have done things differently I mean I think I just think that's why so many of of the people who are serving the armed forces are people who have other family members who are serving the armed forces Mm -hmm. because that's how you get a sense of comfort that it's something that you could and should do I mean if Mm -hmm. my parents hadn't told me to do it I never would have Mm -hmm. applied to be a Navy ROTC Mm -hmm. so I don't know if it's as much I mean, I've, I, I mean, I've talked to some enlisted sailors who I think were a little bit let, misled by mm-hmm. recruiters because recruiters do have quotas that they're trying to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had different expectations for what they would be doing. Um, I don't think I was misled at all, but I do think, you know, I've, I've had other women tell me like, oh, you know, I think if I had known more about this, I would have done it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I feel like everyone when you're, when you're like 18 you start getting all these military recruitment flyers in the mail but unless you really talk to people like you're not mm-hmm. um i feel like you're not going to have that comfort level necessarily that this is mm-hmm. a path that might be interesting to you or might be be good for you and i think um you know i spent a lot of time trying to think about how if an if the navy wanted to bring in more women and retain them how they would do it and i mm-hmm. think a lot of it is just that men are sort of taught from a young age that the military is something they can do and something they can mm-hmm. be. And I just think a lot of women don't know that. They don't have access to that. I'm not saying we should, like, push propaganda on yeah. girls. But just sort of, like, putting more female uh, military role models out there just so they mm-hmm. can see, like, oh, I, I can do this. You know, and mm-hmm. just having more of that awareness. No, I think that's true because I don't... I don't know. I feel like you don't hear a lot about... Women, women, you know the women's um, about women like feeling that kind of call to serve or having that kind of targeted towards them. And I think honestly, until I moved down here, I didn't really know that there were like, I guess quote unquote like non-combat rules. Like I guess there, I mm-hmm. assume there were, um, but it's it's weird to me. Whenever I thought about like non-combat roles, I thought about other other militaries from other countries because um where I went where I went to undergraduate there was a lot of um international students and some of them were coming uh from Korea or Israel where you Mm -hmm. have to where you have like the mandatory serving time and I was like how is that possible you can't like put a bunch of people on ships or you can't put you know what I mean um and one of of my friends she's like I worked in the communications office she's Mm -hmm. like I went to boot camp like everybody else and I learned how to shoot and everything but like She's from Israel. She's like, I was just put in the communications office for like three, and that's what I did, and I liked what I did. So I think 
kind of offering that other perspective to it because even in tv shows you don't hear about the marines who aren't like storming you know the shores well, the marines are, yeah the marines are first and foremost riflemen and they're very proud of that and yeah. they emphasize that in their in all their marketing yes and you and i mean even with the name when i found out um i have a friend who's in the navy and when I found out that when he goes to work, he, like, sits and does, like, kind of, like, an analyst job. He served, like, on a ship before, mm-hmm. like, when he... But I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, Because yeah. that, to me, just never occurred. Like, I just yeah. always... Con- that, I think that was also why I was so surprised to just, like, see military people just roaming out and about like living because in my mind you're like supposed to be like over the, like what are you doing here like yeah. I think the National Guard is the only thing that's appropriate for you to be here because you could be like on the shore but other than that I was like there's no like it just didn't click in my head and I think a lot of people think the way I do mm-hmm. or, or have that type of perception because like I think a majority of us are not necessarily exposed to it unless you grew up in that type of town. If you grew up in this area like you did, but like me from middle of nowhere, Connecticut, like I, like I said, I knew the one guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even he, like I think I've rarely ever seen him like in his like military garb. So yeah, I I got to visit Israel a couple times on deployment, and I kind of really like their model, you know, because there are options for people who don't want to be in combat, you know, mm-hmm. or, um, there's other opportunities to serve, but I sort of like the idea of, of having everyone do some form of national service, because I think, I mean, I think being in the Navy was, is really powerful. It was a really powerful experience for bringing people together from different backgrounds mm-hmm. who otherwise I probably never would have met, um, different backgrounds, different life experiences. And I felt like on the ship, you know, what people were most focused on was getting the work done, meeting the mission and being successful in what we were doing. And people weren't, I don't feel like people were concerned about what people's sexual sexual orientation or mm-hmm. gender or, or any of those things are. And so it so it's annoying to me one when there's sort of all this fuss back home about like transgender members mm-hmm. serving. It's like they're already serving and they're great. Most of them are, are doing great. I mean it I mean because it's not that's not what matters. Because you're all trained the same. And, yeah. Yeah. And and what matters is meeting the mission. And so I. I think it that has been powerful, and I also find it a lot easier to engage uh, in these politically divisive times. I find mm-hmm. it a lot easier to engage with fellow uh, veterans and fellow service members about a lot of the political issues than mm-hmm. um, than with people who I didn't serve with. And I think a lot of that's because we sort of we understand that we have a shared value system mm-hmm. that we care about our country, we worked hard for our country, mm-hmm. and that we have those shared values. So I think it's easier for us to you know, sort of talk respectfully with each other about where we see things differently um, without sort of devolving into like, well, you're just a bad person. Because we, we know they're not, mm-hmm. we know that we're each good people that mm-hmm. and that we believe in this country and want to make it better. So um, for me, that's been really helpful just for driving dialogue and, and like maintaining those connections with people. So did you feel like as, um, as a marginal, did you feel marginalized in the sense of like, there are very few people who look like me or were there a lot of women on the ships or the places that you were deployed and serving in did was it hard sometimes to be like how can I be in a space where I don't see people that look like me I know it's great to have like male mentors and and we do need that and it's good to have people that use their agency to lift us up um or to aid in lifting us up but like was it hard because you didn't see anybody that looked like you I mean not never but you know what I mean 
Yeah, I so my, my first ship, about half the officers on the ship were women. Mm-hmm. So that that's a that's yeah, a, that's a lot. Ship, that's a lot of representation. I mean, it was probably a little bit less than half, but um, there were quite a number of us, which was really great. And then when I went to my second ship, I, w- I was one of only three female officers, mm-hmm. and it was different. I felt like that ship had much more of like an old boys club, but I mm-hmm. felt like I sort of had a male mentor who sort of like brought me into the club, so I mm-hmm. felt like I was sort of an honorary member. But what I I was always searching for people who I could sort of model my career path after, I guess. So I was always, I just, I never saw a path that would work for me to stay in the military based Mm -hmm. on my uh, personal goals and and family goals. And so I was always like any (laughs) senior female officer I did find, I wanted to, how did you do it? You know, like how how did you make things work? (laughs) You know, and so um, I did have a, a few women that I was able to, to, reach out to and talk to which was really helpful um did you feel like what was the most challenging aspect of being a female serving um in the navy or on a ship what what was that like because i feel like not every day was rainbows and yeah well that reminds reminds me of what i wanted to talk about next actually so sexual assault is definitely still a problem in the navy um it affects men and women so it's not just women but i felt uh, particularly on that second ship, when I was one of the more senior women, I felt, you know, I felt responsible for junior women, but I didn't mm-hmm. know necessarily that I could reach them. And so, I mean, just to give you an example, so um, on my second ship, there was an initiative started, so a, a, uh, an enlisted woman started an initiative called Real Talk, and it was just mm-hmm. for women of all ranks on the ship to come together and to be able to talk about issues that were... I mean, to talk about all sorts of things, to talk about career goals, but also if um, uh, women had issues where they felt like they're being treated differently in their Mm -hmm. divisions, particularly, um, you know, some of the, like, engineering and deck division were sort of more, like, macho cultures, so Mm -hmm. women sometimes sort of, like, struggled more um, with people in their divisions in terms of you know, asserting their right to be there, I guess, but, you know, I hoped we we had this line of communication I was hoping that that women would feel comfortable you know sharing their experience but um, one woman who hadn't been attending who hadn't been attending the group um, came forward and spoke out about uh, about sexual assault from a, a senior um, enlisted male officer and it turns out he had assaulted like six other junior women on the ship and it just broke my heart that you know, these junior women had been going through all that mm-hmm. and I'd had no idea and like no way to, to sort of reach them and, and help them through that. Um, so there's definitely, definitely still work to be done. Was that, so would you say that was like the hardest aspect for you not being able to reach the junior women or feeling like you were sectioned off in a way because you were senior? Yeah, I mean, that was my biggest concern. It was just, like, I I knew I wasn't seeing harassment and assault mm-hmm. happening, but I knew that didn't mean it wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what I could do about that to mm-hmm. make it better, um, which I found frustrating. And, I mean, there's sort of other ways, and that played out. There was a couple that got in trouble for um, adultery, mm-hmm. and so they were transferring... They had to transfer one of the sailors off the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a male-female couple, and uh, the male had had a critical skill. He had a critical training, mm-hmm. 
So our ship kept him and she was transferred to another ship. But so then you had people on both ships talking mm -hmm. about what a slut she was. And then within a year, they were talking about promoting that guy for Sailor of Year, which goes to like one, one <sighs> person of his rank. And mm -hmm. I was like, so I was talking to a group of male uh, senior enlisted about this. And I was like, guys, I was like, I just want to give you this perspective here. They both did the same thing mm -hmm. that was wrong and yet she's being kicked around between ship to ship and getting branded mm -hmm. as a slut and you guys are talking about promoting him for sale of the year and I was like that is problematic does not seem right and I was like I'm not saying this is like I couldn't point to anything of that this was sort of like a systemic but it uh, is issue of sex <laughs> but clearly I was like this yeah is, I want I want you to know that you should look at this and realize that this is not right like mm -hmm. how this is being processed you know so there's still, I mean, those cultural issues still linger. I was, um, when I first got to the ship as a new officer, I was challenged by my uh, male enlisted leadership and I had mm -hmm. to have a conversation with them. It was like, I am here to help you. I'm, I work hard, I am smart and I will work as hard as I can for you. But if you're just gonna try to, they were saying like, oh, we gotta like knock you down ma'am to like break you in or either we gotta like break you in i was like that's that's not what's happening here what no no i'm done <laughs> you know? i had that one week in rotc and i'm sad <laughs> yeah totally totally prepared but i i mean i just wanted to and, and i feel like that could have been as much the fact that i was a new ensign i mean because all new ensigns sort of mm -hmm. have to as a new officer you're just coming straight out of college you don't yeah. have any experience and you're put in a leadership position of people who have experience yeah have been in the navy for several years so there's always going to be a little bit of tension there so i didn't want to chalk it up necessarily to sexism but I, I don't know i don't know how much of it was the fact that i was a woman vice the fact that i was just a new ensign but yeah i was like guys they, like this is not gonna work like we gotta, <laughs> we gotta change something <laughs> well no i mean i think that's important to highlight because i feel like so often in spaces like that or, or similar spaces, I think often people are like, no, we're just doing it because like you're new or whatever. I was like, okay, but that doesn't mean it's right. Yeah. And as a woman, these are like the extra layers that I have to consider coming into these spaces. And so I think what you did in terms of like bringing it up and talking about it and be like, it's, it's still problematic, I think is really inspiring and I hope more women are doing that on their ship because I mean like I don't I, mean, I don't this think isn't, we, this isn't exclusive to the military yeah. I mean, this is every woman this is in every, every workplace yeah. who's or really every person in every workplace if you're not being treated with the appropriate level of respect it helped for me that I mean what's helpful in the military is you have I mean as an officer I had positional authority mm -hmm. so you know I had mechanisms that I could use to say mm -hmm. Like, this is not how this is mm -hmm. supposed to work. These are what the rules are, you know. And, and and sometimes in civilian workplaces especially, you don't have that structure that you can sort of, like... Full rank, in a way. Yeah, hang your hat on, so... Do um, you think if you had been, like, a junior enlisted officer, like, your experience, say, uh, speaking back or speaking out the way you did against, like, those men when you first came on the ship would have been different? Do you I think, think it like, is very different for a junior enlisted woman. I mm -hmm. think... Um, I think they do face different challenges and um yeah I what I what I really learned I think is I, I started to recognize that a lot of my personal happiness on the ship was mm -hmm. that I could control I had a lot of control about you know what my day looked like how I managed mm -hmm. my time and I started to realize when you don't have that sort of mm -hmm. um 
agency, it can make things a lot more difficult. So I mean, I, th- I mean, I think that's important for any leader to, yeah. to have that perspective of what it's like to be somewhere else on the totem pole and, and how you can empower people at lower levels and give them more authority and give them more agency and, and help them feel inspired instead of just, you know, someone who's doing tasks mm-hmm. because they have to. And so in that, you said, what was it called? Real talk? Mm-hmm. The, the thing for women? So, so in that space, real talk for women, was it, I mean, I know you said it was like across ranks, but did mm-hmm. you hear more problematic things coming from like these junior enlisted women? Cause the, the sexual assault case was from junior enlisted women, mm-hmm. right? So were you hearing more things, more problematic things coming from them? Well, I talked about some about, uh, you know, the women in the, in the engineering divisions and deck mm-hmm. division, they're sort of more macho communities. I mean, so some of them did speak to issues, just sort of the daily, not being fully recognized or being put down or, mm-hmm. or being treated differently because they were women. And so what was great too, was having the perspective because in, in those situations, my perspective as an officer is perhaps not the most useful, mm-hmm. right? Because if any of those men that they were referring to has said something like that to me, I could just write them up or you know whatever I could tell them that's not acceptable Mm -hmm. and they would just have to say yes ma'am and move on you know I mean so I I, again I have that positional authority where I could deal with it but so um, it was great having the more senior enlisted women in the room who could talk about how to manage that and push back against that and Mm -hmm. and to um, just focus on what they were doing and the work they were doing and making sure that was recognized. Did you have any pushback from men of your rank on the ship? Because I you understand that like the junior enlisted can be, you know, I don't know what the correct word would be, but like attacked is not the right word, but like, you know, a, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> with other yeah. with senior members and you can maybe relate to that because if a junior member was to come to you and say those things, like you are the one with rank and authority, but between, but people that were like in your rank, men that were in your rank, did you find that you had issues or um, with the way in which they approach you, things that they would say to you, or similar issues to the to what you heard from the junior enlisted. Really, not as much. I think um, every now and then someone would say a joke that I didn't think was appropriate, mm-hmm. and I would usually just say that's not appropriate, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 call them out for it. But um, I mean, I know of some behavior that I wouldn't have recommended for mm-hmm. male officers, and in, in terms of what they did and their free time and liberty ports. Um, <laughs> but I'll just leave that. There. So You're like, I'm still a reservist. Like I still, I will see them yeah. at the, at the family barbecue. Like, yeah. I mean, and I think, I think what's hard now is I think so much more of it is there's not a lot. Well, I say there's not, there's not always as much sort of like explicit sexism where it's Mm -hmm. like you can't do that because you're a girl but I don't know that my male peers were always thinking about what assumptions they were making about the women who worked Mm -hmm. for them you Mm -hmm. know what I mean and what assumptions they were making about their credibility sort of the same thing I had two third class petty officers so same rank um, enlisted sailors and one was a male one was a female they came on board about the same time Mm -hmm. I'd done about the same amount of work and then all these people were saying that the guy was better and I was like i not a pretty even playing field, mm-hmm. right? You know, so it, it was just things like that. And I think I think part of it was just that he, he was a guy and, and she was a little less assertive, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, she's doing a lot of great work, you know? And so yeah. I would try to, you know, pull that out and make people 
think about that. But do you feel like the the Navy or even the spaces that you were in allowed you to really have a voice? Did you ever did you ever feel like there was a time when you felt kind of silenced, even with your rank and position, because you were a woman, or you're like, or you question, is this because I'm a woman that I'm not allowed to speak out on this topic or speak up? Wait, I had a, a captain who did say one time he was talking. He was big. I, I think he didn't realize what, how what he was saying was coming off. But sort of basically alluding that alcohol is a he. I mean, he was basically saying alcohol alcohol is a factor in sexual assault. But in a way, he was saying it to me made it sort of sound like like if women are drinking, they're going to get sexually assaulted. And I was like that. The feelings. <laughs> and so, I think I was pretty new on board at the time. And basically, just in the context, I think I felt like it wasn't. I didn't feel like I should speak up right then, but I was talking to other people afterwards, and I was like, "That's not, that's not really how this works." But <laughs> we're gonna talk about this later. <laughs> not while he's here, but like, yeah. So, so sometimes you get some of that. When I was at the Pentagon, they were doing an event for sexual assault awareness, but they were like, walk. A, it was like walk a lap, and so you were trying to like walk as many laps as you could to represent like the lack of re or like the number of sexual assault reports, but it was just like really weird how it was set up where it was like, mm-hmm. they're making it like a competition to like walk as many laps as you could, which I felt like was really drawing away from the whole point. Yeah, cause I found it very off-putting <laughs> personally. And so another woman in, in my office at the Pentagon and I were both like this. We're not doing this. this not, <laughs> we'll hand out orange slices, great. but we're not. Yeah. So, so I had, Foolish man, uh, tell me once he goes, because I, I, I personally completely disagree with this statement, but he said something to the effect of, like, the military now is so leaning towards women that, like, women get all this special treatment, so I don't understand why people are saying that, like, the military is sexist because, like, women get all this special treatment and will get promoted ahead of men simply because they're a woman now. It was based to that effect. And I would just like to ask, I know it may be a little biased because you are a woman, if you have felt that or if you see that in the military as like this this level of overcorrecting for for you know mistakes past. My so I, was, I guess I should say, well, I was usually ranked pretty high, so I guess I should disclose that. So maybe I'm a little bit biased. <laughs> but I mean I think It wasn't like you didn't work to get there. Yeah, I mean I think I think in some sense my my this is my personal theory which mm-hmm. is based purely on anecdotal experience <laughs> but to me it seems like women who are motivated to join the military are sort of self-selecting to be mm-hmm. high performers in the military like they mm-hmm. sort of have the the mindset and the tools mm-hmm. um to do well and i think there's sort of like a broader population of men who join the military so mm-hmm. i often felt like a lot of the women were really high performers and a man i worked with at the pentagon did tell me that He's like, the military's trying to recruit women because women are doing better. Like, their scores are better, you know? And maybe not necessarily on the physical aspect, but in terms mm-hmm. of you take the ASVAB coming in, which is sort mm-hmm. of a general test of your capabilities, and depending mm-hmm. on how high you rank on that test, that test, you're, um, like, if you rank really high, more compli- jobs where you'll have more complicated work are mm-hmm. open to you. Um, and women are doing well so I don't have the data to support that but he was saying that his understanding is that you know women that's why they want to recruit women and retain women because Mm -hmm. the women who join are high performers well you're not the first person I've had said uh first woman I've had say that on the show so like 
Um, a woman that I interviewed who's a gem and a half, uh, Sarah Scarcelli, she works at the State Department now. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, because I asked her, like, a similar, not, I didn't say the statement, but I asked her, like, you know, what was it like being a woman? Did you see other women? And she was like, yeah, the women that, she's like, the majority of women that I know that joined seemed like it was more of a choice to be there so they were more committed yeah versus like you had said earlier like men are brought up to think that this is like always an option for them where women i don't think were presented serving in the military that in that same way and so if we choose to do so we're like ultra committed because we're like this is our passion i'm gonna make this my life and career Mm -hmm. um so i so I think that is a good answer regardless because I now have two statements backing up my yes. claim. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I feel like I should add to, so certainly we've been talking a lot about women, uh, men and women, mm-hmm. but, um, there's certainly different sort of, um, barriers perhaps or people not feeling welcome for people, mm-hmm. LGBTQ, IA, mm-hmm. um, people from those populations. Cause I, I mean, I have some friends who personally have, I know they have not always necessarily felt welcome or mm-hmm. even after don't ask, don't tell was repealed. Don't yeah. feel comfortable being open about their sexual mm-hmm. identity or sexual orientation. Um, so there, there, in some sense, there are a lot of men who I feel like have been grown up to feel very welcome in this environment, mm-hmm. but also a lot of men too. And who women who, yeah. And, and transgender um, sailors who have had a little bit more of a struggle feeling mm-hmm. welcome into the community. So how do you kind of feel about the way outside society approaches that? Because I've had a transgender woman on the show who also serves in the military. Um, and I, I just like, I feel like if you feel the need to serve for your country in that type of way, we should, one shouldn't be saying no to you. Um, two, I don't think it really matters what you portray like who whatever you choose to identify as because that's what you are and when you hear that kind of like backlash kind of from the outsiders like you were saying before like it's easier to talk politics with veterans because you've been there how how does that make you feel when you kind of hear that language talking about that kind of identity i so when president trump tweeted that transgender people were suddenly somehow not allowed in the military anymore um, I was really horrified and I spent a lot of the next few days engaging in dialogue on Facebook, <laughs> um, with people the worst place. I on mean... this issue because just because I, I agree with you that if people want to serve and they're fit to serve, they should serve. And I don't understand why there were some people who were saying like, oh, well, this is special treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about, I think mainly talking about people having access to gender reassignment surgery and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the, um, the opportunities to do that were pretty narrow. I think you had to have been um, diagnosed with gender dysphoria and a number of other things, and you had to come up with a transition plan that you had to run by your commanding officer to make sure it didn't, um, you know, uh, interfere with uh, command commitments or deployments or anything like that. And um, which just I didn't. Fe- they were getting the same. It's not because people were trying to say, and and what President Trump said in that tweet was that the co- it's too expensive. Well, no one else is barred from the military based on their medical costs. Mm-hmm. You know, people, the medical review is to determine your fitness to serve, not how much money you might mm-hmm. cost the government down the line. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not the point. And, and, and I think a lot of people were saying it was like, oh, well, all these people are going to cost so much money in medical care. And I was like, that's not, I mean, in that case, you would never let any, 
man who's married to a woman who's going to give birth in the military or any like women who's going to, I mean, it's just a totally Mm -hmm. nonsensical sort of argument. And, um, that we are at a time where the military is trying to grow and recruit more people. Mm -hmm. And there are issues with doing that partly because, um, there's a lot of, uh, military age people in this country that aren't, can't meet the physical requirements. And so when we have people who are fit to serve, qualified to serve and motivated to serve it's i mean it, the military is shooting themselves in the foot by not accepting oh, yeah. those people into the service and, and that's my take on it no i i completely agree because i think like i think it's also like physically demanding in many ways to serve in in the military obviously and like psychologically and mentally and from my understanding i mean you would know more than I do. I feel like if they're going to go through the gender reassignment surgery, which you also don't have to do if you want to identify mm-hmm. as transgender, um, I feel like they probably want to do that in the middle of depl- right. You won't be on a ship and be like, you know what? Right. CL, let me let me t- let me holler at you for a second. I don't think that's how it's going to go down. I think that would cover come later once they're out and um, out out of service and and choose to use their benefits to do that. So. I agree. Like, I think it's a silly argument to even be having in those terms. And I think it's interesting what our country chooses to focus on, because like you said, there's a lot of people who may not be physically fit to serve in the military currently. So it's like, why are we denying people? It's like, well, Mm -hmm. why don't you focus on getting physically fit people, whatever your definition of that may look like to serve. So it's like, you contact these people ahead of time. You talk to them while they're in high school. Be like, hey, we run this boot camp every week. We'll, we talk about nutrition and, and yada, 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 and we'll train you. Like, mm-hmm. come check this out. Like, why not have those type of things happening? Like, while these kids are, like, in high school, it gives them a sense of camaraderie and community, which is a huge thing I've heard from people who serve in the military, that mm-hmm. that's something that they really love. And once you get out, it's kind of, like, lacking in your normal day-to-day life. Um giving them that and being like, okay, if I'm part of this community and this family and I'm serving my country, why not be part of it? Mm -hmm. So like, to me, that's a better way to spend our time and like discourse. We like, why aren't we talking about like having say like these training camps while kids are in high school? Yeah. I mean, I would just, just add that, you know, so a lot of the resistance towards putting women in different places of the military, Mm -hmm. often the arguments would fall back on like, well, what about birthing and what about bathrooms and things like that? You know, so for like a long time, women weren't allowed to serve on submarines until I was, uh, until 2010. So, yeah, so it was recent. When, when I was graduating, I was one of the first groups of women who could have who chosen to, mm-hmm. to serve in a submarine. They opened it up to officers first and then opened it up to enlisted sailors uh, not too long after that. But so when I was a freshman, um, when early on in uh, in your training as a midshipman, they mm-hmm. send you to a month long training where you spend a week with each community. Mm-hmm. So, one week with ships, subs, aircraft, and Marine Corps. And uh, so for the sub week, they put all the girls in a different group because they were like, "Well, none of you are going subs." Because back then, women still couldn't mm-hmm. be on subs, so none of us thought we were going subs. So, mm-hmm. you know, all the men went out to sea on a submarine for a day and did all these cool trainers, and we kind of did whatever and then on the last day they took us out in the sub for a couple hours and they were Mm -hmm. like "Ooh, cool but you know because there was no no one felt like they should invest any time in Mm -hmm. us because we weren't going to be on submarines you know Mm -hmm. um but again just a lot of that fell back and it was like oh well submarines are really tiny so what are you going to do for bathrooms you know and it's just like i mean these are easy problems to solve i mean even on one of my ships just the way because on my first ship there was so many women the way the birthings worked out we had a 
bathroom where we just flipped a sign on the door. And sometimes it might be a little awkward. You'd be like going in a shower and, and the guy would be like coming out of the room. But it mm-hmm. was, I mean, we It's called adults. college. Honestly, it's right. just like, oh my <laughs> God, I know. I mean, it's, it's, you can manage it. It's not hard. And, and so obviously they've gotten over that barrier with, uh, with submarines because, because now, uh, female officers and sailors, uh, serve on submarines, but, um, you know, just, just so I feel like so often people were using the same arguments with transgender service members. I was like, these are the same bad arguments mm-hmm. that have proven not to be an issue time and time again. Of course, someone started getting in a, I was having a reasonable conversation with someone I served with and then someone else he knew jumped in and started saying that like basically women should never have joined either. And I was just like, okay, cool. Number one, This Sarah. is not the conversation. I'm you know, yeah, sometimes you're just like, I just need to exit because it's so, like, you ever just read yeah. people's, like, foolishness and you're like, I'm not even yeah. going to waste my time. I mean, I I completely agree because I feel like we come up with this useless arguments because it's something different that we haven't done before and therefore it must be bad, but just because we haven't done it before doesn't mean it mm-hmm. is bad. Like, if you even, um, it actually happened in Virginia. Um, I wish I, like, knew the exact and like remember the article but basically like schools now because of so many shootings which probably another subject um a lot of schools because even my sister has it um in connecticut they are doing a lot of like active shooter drills now and a lot of like different types of drills other than like your fire or like an animal gets in the school kind of drills and um one little girl she thinks she's like 14 there uh there was an article about it that her school like i guess didn't know where to put her because she was transgender oh i saw that did you and i, I was that. just like was really terrible. so, if so they this, just like left her in the hallway or something was really i was awesome. like so if someone comes in is trying to shoot up the school you were like you gotta you gotta take one for the team i think in that article like, i read they said you know what well, they were like well we would have put her in the bathroom if we're actually happening or something. But isn't this supposed to train for like, but it's crazy to me that in this drill sense, you can't even pick a bathroom. And I, it's crazy to me how we get caught up on such minute details and we get on, on these false, like these false narratives basically Mm -hmm. versus like actually being there to do what we need to do. So like the idea, I think it's the same thing when you hear in schools that like girls can't wear short skirts or we can't, I had a thing where we couldn't show our shoulders. Like we had mm. to have like thick straps yeah. or, because my shoulders are just so damn sexy. <laughs> Let me tell you yeah. about how my, my shoulders killed it in middle school. Um, because it would be distracting to boys. And it's like, it's sad. Number one, we put that burden on young girls and women, but it's also sad that we hold our men to such low esteem to I, think they would get so distracted by, sh- listen, you can wear a paper bag. We, we did, a senior female officer on my first ship did tell us that we should stop wearing running shorts because we would wear running shorts when we worked out. You know, we should stop wearing running running shorts because male sailors were trying to look up our shorts when we up and down went up and down the ladder wells because they're like mm-hmm. open sort of stairwells, mm-hmm. basically image of yeah ladder. <laughs> um, but uh, but I was like, well, maybe you should tell your sailors not to look up our shorts instead of telling me I have to change running shorts so I just wear my running shorts because also I didn't I don't wear leggings when I worked out also didn't necessarily think that would be better also where am I gonna buy it at the the ship store this was in the middle this we're in the middle of the ocean ma'am I don't in the middle of a 10-month deployment and I was like yeah I'm gonna wear my running shorts thanks sorry bye no I'm actually not that sorry so that type of that type of mentality I think is the same approach that people are taking 
to the whole transgender argument. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was just interesting to hear your perspective on that. Um, and in addition to that, too, I get very frustrated when I hear a lot of people say, like, you're disrespecting our veterans, whether it's, like, kneeling at the flag. And I, and I and to me, I have a lot of feelings. I, too, have <laughs> many feelings. But do you ever, have you ever viewed any form of protest in that way disrespectful to the military have you ever heard she's shaking her head no, no. like i know like <laughs> this is not being video recorded but <laughs> has anyone that you ever known you know wherever they'd be on whatever sphere that have they ever felt disrespected by i do not personally know a service member of veteran who has expressed that they felt offended by um that form of protest i also just think i just think it's such a a misconception about what service members serve for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our oath talks about we, we support and defend the Constitution. That is mm-hmm. what my oath is to the Constitution, which mm-hmm. includes freedom of speech and freedom of assembly and, and all of that. And so I, th- I think it's just misguided to somehow construe that as um, offensive. I do, I do want to say I feel like I can understand how um, someone who has lost a loved one in service and then mm-hmm. been given a flag mm-hmm. um, as a way to honor their passing, I feel like I can understand if people feel sort of do have an emotional reaction to seeing mm-hmm. to seeing someone kneeling. I can understand that, um, but I think to then say overall that it's somehow disrespectful to those people who served, I think is missing the point of the protest because I think also, I mean. Because it's not even protesting the flag or the military. Right. Yeah, it's, it's just not just nothing. America is not living up to its ideals. Mm-hmm. And I think if you serve, you want America to you want America to live up to its ideals, to what the Constitution mm-hmm. stands for. So, oh, thank you. I like to hear it from the horses. <laughs> and the, no, I think it's important to hear as much as possible, and I think to hear it from like a a real face versus like I've seen a lot of memes on Facebook. I've seen you know, those viral yeah. posts that get shared from, like, servicemen who are like, I don't care about that form of protest. Like, I just don't. Um, I don't think they're being offensive anyway. I feel fine. I've seen it from other military friends posts, like, I don't really care. Like, they've, re- they've reshared those posts about, like, I don't care about the form. They're, they can do whatever they want. Um, but it's also nice to hear it face-to-face and, like, see that you have such a clear understanding of, of what you know what this represents versus what people represent. So you're like, please, I'd be out there kneeling with you. Like, I think that kind I, of... Yeah, I think, personally, I would feel very strange and sort of uncomfortable if I were to kneel mm-hmm. during the anthem just because we're so trained to stand there at attention that, yeah. during it. But I, I have a ton of respect for the people who are, um, you know, expressing their thoughts about that country, about our country in that way. And I do also feel like, you know, I... it seems to me that a lot of the the rhetoric about this disrespecting our veterans comes from people who aren't veterans, veterans thank you which i find troubling i mean so i had a, a friend of mine from my from my, the church i grew up in who posted one of those memes and i responded to him i was like ask someone who has served i 100 percent disagree with this and i think this misinterprets what we serve for mm-hmm. you know uh, thank you say it louder <laughs> for the crazy people in the back <laughs> Um, that leads me to my last question. How do you define being a woman or womanhood? Oh, man. Really left a, a doozy for the end there. I guess I, I always try, you know. Well, I have a good military response to that, actually. So I, <laughs> um, so there is sort of a lot of uh, uh, 
irritation in the in the female Navy officer community because so the the sort of the story about what happened is that um, the former secretary of the Navy secretary Mavis was at uh, an Army Navy game so big mm-hmm. Army Navy football rivalry and he didn't like how the female midshipmen and male midshipmen looked different because we have different uniforms Mm -hmm. and so then basically he decided we would move towards gender neutral uniforms Mm -hmm. which meant in practice that really that women were going to wear uniforms that make them look more like men also women would have to pay for this out of pocket (laughs) so that's where we are now we're sort of in the (laughs) middle of that transition Mm -hmm. and so so like for example the the dress whites uniform for men Mm -hmm. is the the chokers where you have the buttons that go all the way up to the neck and then um, the women's uniform is more like a blazer, but now women are going to have to buy these like choker uniforms, which is going to be a few hundred dollars. Um, you y'all best get reimbursed. So, I am um, task and purpose is a great website that features mm-hmm. a lot of articles from veterans and service members. And so they had some great articles. We'll put it in the show links. Yeah. They had some great articles from that time talking about how, I mean, it was more erasing the fact that women were serving, mm-hmm. you know, and as much as we sometimes complain about women specific uniform items, because um, <laughs> <laughs> some of them, you know, our hats look different too. And mm-hmm. some people thought that, so now we have a alternative combination cover um, that we have to wear <laughs> as opposed to the male female cover. And I always thought the female cover looked sort of dumb, but then it was just that, that sort of the gender neutral is actually yeah. the male default, you know, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of frustration. There was like, well, now you're just erasing sort of the fact that women are serving. And uh, last time I was driving on 95, I saw Marine Corps talking about Marine Corps and their marketing. You know, I saw mm-hmm. Marine Corps billboard, and I was like, I think one of those people up there is a woman, but because you know she has the same cover and her mm-hmm. hair is pulled back really tight, I, like I couldn't really tell, especially when you're just driving on the highway. Mm-hmm. So it still looks like they're not really like there was a woman in there maybe but yeah still not really representing mm-hmm. so now there's sort of this tension between it's like well are we proud that women are serving or do we just want everyone to look like one sort of thing in which case mm-hmm. you know the default people think of as male and you're sort of erasing that I mean yeah so so my identity as a woman is important to me and and I think I mean for me it was really empowering to to serve and to realize it gave me a ton of confidence about what I, I was doing things I never Mm-hmm. imagined I could do and that has been um, hugely impactful to me moving forward thinking about what I could do as a woman and, and a lot of the reason why I got into policy too to see you know I was like I can make a difference I don't have to sit back and be mad about the way things are going or yeah. what's happening you know we all have a voice and we can speak up and make change I love that That's so lovely Thank you so yeah. much. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh this my gosh, no, this is great. You brought quiche, so. We'll <laughs> <go>. uh, <laughs> yeah. um, do you have any last things that you want to plug? Give a shout out to. Uh, well, so in terms of someone who has been, who's done a lot more research on women in the military mm-hmm. and and has written, written thoughtfully about it, uh, Andrea Goldstein is oh, someone okay. I follow cool. on Twitter, and and she. Um, she's, she has a column for task and purpose and she's also, uh, one of the leaders of service to school, which is a veteran, uh, an organization that helps veterans, um, get back to college and after, um, after serving. So dope. I will put a link to that on the show notes. Um, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thank you for having me, Natalia. Of course. Thank you for drinking rosé with me. <laughs> thank you for bringing quiche because I love your quiche. Um, and everybody out there, thank you for listening. If you would like to, and by if you would like to, I mean you should, follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Lady 3 
Uh, please like us on Facebook at More Than a Pretty Face. If you would like to email us because you want to say hi, you want to come on the show, know somebody that should come on the show, um, or sponsor the show because we're looking to sell out, uh, please email <laughs> us at prettyfacewomen at mtapfpodcast.com. Uh, listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, and please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. All right, talk to you soon. Bye.